This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, old friend. It's Rob from Personal Best. I'm here with Andrew Norton. It's been a while. It certainly has. I checked my podcast feed today. I looked at the last episode of Personal Best we put out 2019, summer 2019, almost five years. Almost five years. Well, we have a couple things we want to share with you. First is a big announcement. We are currently working on a brand new season of Personal Best. Personal Best is back, coming this spring. New episodes are on their way. We are very excited. I hope you are too. In the meantime, we have something else to share with you. If you are a fan of this show, then you already know about legendary associate producer Jess Shane. She's the one who convinced a stranger to be our dad for an entire week and also helped her real-life aunt birth a real-life cow. She broke my recorder one time too, actually. Anyways, Jess has a brand new podcast series with our friends at Radiotopia. It's called Shocking, Heartbreaking, Transformative. It's all about what really goes into making documentaries and this whole boom around nonfiction storytelling. What relationship should a documentarian have with the subject? What do they owe them? And who should have final say in the way their story is told? I listened to the first episode and there's Craigslist ads and auditions. It's DIY storytelling where even the person making it has no idea what's around the corner. Yeah, it's all the things you love about Personal Best. But unlike Personal Best, it's also really smart, thought-provoking, and might even change the way you listen to podcasts forever. I actually don't want Andrew to tell you too much about it. Instead, we're going to drop the first full episode in the personal best feed right now. Well, hey, congrats, Jess. Congrats, we are Jess. so proud of you. You made an incredible show. We are so happy we get to share it. Yeah. Now, here's the first episode of Shocking, Heartbreaking, Transformative. And remember, Personal Best Season 3 coming soon. Okay. What is this exactly for? I know this is like a um, documentary that you've been working on and stuff. Let me get your mic set up, and then we'll talk about it. If you're listening to this, I'm guessing you've been moved, entertained, even changed by a well-told, true story about someone else's life. And then mm-hmm. the first thing I need to get you to do is okay. to sign this release form. Well, you okay. can read it and, and, you know, ask any questions before okay. signing. No you problem. Sign until it feels good. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just making sure that you are consenting to being recorded and oh, okay. using the recording. Okay. All right. Definitely. Real life stories. We seem to be really into them right now. No longer does the word documentary conjure memories of falling asleep in history class or getting stoned and watching Planet Earth. These days, first-person true stories make up a good chunk of our media diets. Well, do you want to start by um, introducing yourself? Maybe say, like, your name, uh, your age, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, my, name's Sarah my name is Jess Shane. I'm an artist and documentary audio producer. Should I be nervous? No. Okay. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. We're just going to have a chat. Okay, cool. But, you know, if you are nervous at any point and you're like, why are you asking this question? Like, you can ask me questions, oh, too. Oh, trust me, I will. No. <laughs> okay. The clips you're hearing now are from auditions from my latest documentary project. So maybe I'll tell you a little bit more about the process of how this project will work. We're going to do auditions. All the people are going to tell their story, talk about why they want to be in a documentary, what they hope to get out of it, etc. And then after that, I'm going to be picking four people who will be sort of the lead characters of the documentary. Okay, cool. I'm ready. Do you want to give us like the bird's eye view of the story? Like, yeah, really, absolutely. Yeah. You need to keep it to like two minutes, ideally. Okay, keep it yeah. two minutes. Um, basically, what happened was I was 
Born in 94, uh, I moved. I posted an ad online and over 200 people applied to take part. But I'm running these auditions to select the best stories to work with. Um, I want to tell my story because I feel it is important to really educate people because, yeah. Um, I'm here to, uh, to really just share my spirit, strength, and hope. And um, so that way it can make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, so that way they be more. When I was growing up, it seemed like everyone was talking about the value of stories. It was in politics. My story is part of the larger American story. In no other country on earth is my story even possible. In advocacy. The It Gets Better Project. A nonprofit created by you, changing lives worldwide, one story at a time. In advertising. And Dove Real Beauty Productions is really about getting those stories told. In every talk show, on the radio, on TV. Speaking your truth. Makes it possible for us to imagine what it would be to cultivate a more empathetic and understanding society by revealing intimate truths that when they feel broken and afraid and tired, they are not alone. So I felt called to be a storyteller. But I didn't want to make ads or nonprofit campaigns. I wanted to make documentaries. And blessed with the many privileges of a middle-class security net, I set my sights on a notoriously unstable career in media. But it was 2016, and when the promise of an approaching golden age in nonfiction narrative podcasting is beckoning, you listen. It was work that I thought I'd be good at and enjoy. I'm an extrovert, a good listener, and a Gemini with a penchant for asking nosy questions. But maybe most importantly, I saw that audio documentaries could be creative, an art form. I've often heard making documentaries be compared to being a doula of sorts. A guest just needs to show up with the story they want to bring into the world, and then it's up to the producer, moi, to help them deliver that story in the best way possible. Fuck up, but if I forget something and I have to go back, you know how many. You're great. You're allowed to fuck up. You're allowed to go back. I'm mm-hmm. also here to guide you and to be. Right. I also bring a platform. And and what audience are you kind of like catering to? Yeah, totally. You know These mean? are great questions. Yeah. So um, we're making this series for a network called Radiotopia, right. which is yeah. part of a bigger network called PRX. Okay. And they have a huge listenership. They have some really popular shows that have mm-hmm. like really massive audiences. Um, yeah. I mean, is there a certain... Making documentaries seemed like a kind of social service, a way to empower people society tends to silence or overlook or discriminate against by giving them an opportunity to be heard and understood. You know, and I think the worst thing is people walk by you like you're invisible, you know? No Everyone who has come to my auditions today is expressing some reason, some desire to step into the spotlight. Because there's a lot of stuff like that I experienced that I feel like Americans either take for granted or they don't know about. Or number two, they came with stories they hoped could take apart harmful stereotypes. Shed light on something that has been really misconceived for a long time. I think it, it was- Stories that unpack how individuals' experiences reflect broader systemic issues. I'm, I'm free here, but my pending application for asylum is still awaiting. And it's really killing us, the waiting. But 
But this project is different than any documentary I've worked on before. Because I'm not just looking for important or surprising stories. I'm actually here interviewing all of these people to figure something out for myself about the documentary industry. I grew up with all of these ideas about storytelling as this noble art form. But approaching a decade of doing this work, I've got some questions about just what it is we think we're doing telling other people's stories. Questions I can't ignore anymore. Who and what do documentaries serve? And what good, if any, am I actually doing? This is Shocking, Heartbreaking, Transformative. So why the crisis of faith, other than the fact that it makes a decent first episode hook? Well, to tell that story, we're going to have to go back to the beginning. The story of my origins as a documentary audio producer. Documentarians who are listening right now will likely recognize this narrative format as the E-structure, which is where you start in the middle at the action point to hook the audience's interest and then you circle back to the chronological start of the story before looping back to your opening cliffhanger to wrap things up. It's common for documentary producers to start out their careers with projects about people already in their lives. If you're working with somebody you know, it probably means that you have what we in the biz call access. That means your documentary subject already knows and probably likes you, so ideally they're then primed to bear their soul to you. My first ever documentary subject was my childhood neighbor Nicola, who at the time was a 16-year-old Olympic-bound gymnast, on the verge of retiring because of a long-standing hip injury. When I asked Nicola if she'd be up for me documenting this transitional time in her life, she said sure. Actually, she said that having a record of this time sounded really valuable to her. So for me, I think by remembering what I've been through and how much I've accomplished, I'll feel a lot better like going forward. Mm-hmm. And for other people, she even thought her story might help other people. Girls understanding that we're good the way we are and that we have to do what's good for us and that's the only thing that's going to make us happy. The story of this 16-year-old gymnast about to quit her competitive sport seemed ideal for the Canadian national broadcaster, where I wanted to get my foot in the door. So I wrote up my pitch. The doc would follow Nicola through this major life transition. It would give listeners a deep understanding of the intensity of her dream of making it to the Olympics. And then it would have them witness the pain of that dream being ripped away. As I imagined it, we'd hear Nicola pick herself back up and begin to build the kind of self-confidence that only comes when you reject other people's expectations or some narrative of how your life is supposed to go. The whole thing seemed like a powerful metaphor for the growing pains of young adulthood. In our first interview, I asked Nicola to take me back to her early days of learning and falling in love with gymnastics. And I remember standing on the podium, like getting my first gold medal. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. 
and thinking. She read to me from her old diaries where she chronicled all her struggles and triumphs. We even tried this experimental interviewing technique I'd heard about for bringing memories to life. I would make Nicola lie on the floor in a dark room. Okay, so let's go into one of those moments. I want you to close your eyes, do it in the present tense, and tell me what happened. So, we recorded all sorts of sound effects in her basement. Oh, that's a great sound. Wait, can you do that one more time? That was so good. Interview by interview, I got Nicola to talk me through the length of her entire career. The increasingly demanding coaches, the diet culture, the moving goalposts, and her chronic pain, which year by year was increasing steadily. Even though I'm trying my best and sweating like crazy and everything hurts, I keep going and I'm still trying my best and my coach still isn't liking it. Eventually, we got to Nicola's physical breaking point. I just thought, okay, this is it. Like, I can't handle this pain anymore. It's not worth it. When she finally decided to take a week off practice. Suddenly a week turned into like three months, and I was like, oh, maybe I'm done. And then how good it felt to finally have time to relax and hang out with friends and eat whatever she wanted, literally for the first time in her teenage life. We are going for ice cream! But when we started to talk about the present, these new big emotions started coming up. Because I was in denial before. I didn't want to deal with it. Now I, yeah, it's been a year, so... Nicola was feeling ashamed of quitting, disappointed she hadn't pushed herself harder, anxious that her coaches or teammates were mad at her or would judge her. It became clear that these interviews were not easy for Nicola. They definitely didn't seem therapeutic in the way I think we both imagined they'd be. I don't really want to talk about it anymore. At the same time, Nicola's uncertainties, her grief, her angst, so relatable, which felt important. Just think about how rarely we get to hear young women thinking on the radio. So I pushed for us to keep going. A few months and around 12 hours of recording in, Nicola was tired. It started to feel like whenever I came over for an interview, she was doing me a favor, which was awkward. But my deadline was coming up, and I reassured her and myself that it would all be worth it when the documentary came out. Like we talked about when we started, this piece could make a difference for someone listening. Another athlete with an injury, another young person in a difficult moment of transition. What she was doing was making a contribution to society. When the documentary aired, I listened live. I heard Nicola's passion for the sport, the pain of confronting her limits, and what it means to assert yourself and find your identity as a young adult. My editor at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation loved what I made. A critic even wrote it up with a rave review. For my first documentary, I was so proud. Pretty soon after that, I got offered a full-time job making narrative podcasts. So the end of Nicola's career pretty much marked the beginning of mine. 
Over the next several years, I worked on all sorts of narrative podcasts. I worked on art shows and culture shows and sports journalism and even true crime. I got really good at my job. I prided myself on my ability to find just the right subjects, to coax even the most media shy among them to speak relatably and with vulnerability. And in the process, I learned some of the basic rules and guidelines for journalism and documentary production. Things like never show someone your questions before an interview. And while you can and should check in with a subject to make sure you got all the facts right, you shouldn't let someone listen to your work before it goes to air. You also learn pretty quickly that if someone's volunteering to be in a story, they probably have an agenda of their own. It's better to seek out the right people to talk to yourself. And do not, under any circumstances, pay your subjects or accept gifts from them. All these rules are designed to ensure that everyone involved in your story is taking part for the right reasons, as they say, to serve truth and the public interest. During this period of cutting my teeth in the industry, I also tried making a documentary story about myself. This story was about something I really wasn't proud of. It was about my relationship with my first boyfriend. He had this diary that I used to secretly read when he was out of the house, and then I would change myself based on what he wrote to try to secure his love for me. I know, the bad kind of nosy. But what I found was that retelling the story as a kind of memoir a few years later was therapeutic. It helped me process and own something that had previously been hard to talk or even to think about. But then people started reaching out to me about the piece. Not just listeners who liked it or found it relatable or familiar. I'm talking about other professional storytellers. First, I got this email from a successful podcast host with a huge audience, and he wanted to make a fictional adaptation of my story, which he did, and it was heralded by a few major publications as one of the best episodes of the year. Then there was a filmmaker who emailed me about acquiring the rights. And then, more recently, a Hollywood TV producer reached out to ask if I'd like to tell the story for a docu-series she was making about breakups. Dear Jess, I am producing a new documentary series for a major network. The series will feature couples telling their most shocking heartbreaking, and transformative breakup stories. I wanted to reach out after hearing your remarkable story. I found your story to be incredibly relatable and intriguing, and your storytelling is beautifully tender. Please let me know if there's a time we could connect to tell you more about the project and how we might work together to bring this story to life on camera. This was well over a year ago now, a time when the docuseries seemed to be newly established as the thing being pushed on every streaming platform. At the time, everyone was binging Cheer and Tiger King and making a murderer. It seemed like we couldn't get enough of true stories of regular people, tightly edited scenes charged with intimacy and immediacy. I wrote back to the producer and said, sure, let's talk. I was so excited that you were open to having this conversation. And yeah, I just wanted to connect and sort of tell you a little bit about our project and see if there's a possibility that we could... uh, figure out a time for an interview. Um, And you said you're looking for like, you know, like heartbreaking, shocking, tragic, whatever. Like, are you looking for like anything average? For me, you know, like there's no 
there's no kind of story that we're trying to find necessarily. We're going to be looking for a devastating story and a funny story. So it's, I think it's going to sort of be like a wide gamut. But ideally, we're looking, you know, for storytellers who who will confide in this team of filmmakers. And heads up, this is not the real TV producer. It is a reenactment. Compliments of my wonderful editor, Sarah Nix. Thank you, Sarah. The real TV producer, understandably, didn't want to be recorded, but I recorded my end of the call and took diligent notes. So this is how the conversation went. What do you think I would have to get out of this experience? Because I've already told the story. A bunch of folks we've talked to, they've been like, since we talked, all of these memories are coming back. I have this new perspective on this. And hopefully at the end of it, everyone feels a little better. I hope that this show can offer some sense of catharsis for people who are still digesting their relationship stories. How does it work? Like how, what kind of payment happens? Who owns the story? Who owns the rights? Yeah, uh, we are really not at that point yet. We're at the beginning of casting, and we don't have a sense of what that's going to look like yet. At this point, we're really we're really just interviewing folks. Right, and, and would I have, like, any editorial control or something over the story? Because, you know, the one that I produced, it was like, I made it, you know? Um, probably not. Nope, you would be involved as an interviewee and a participant. Okay, I see. Everything we're doing right now is to sort of figure out the show, and eventually pitch it. Yeah. So you have you have all the power, basically. Like for now. For now. And until, until I give you guys permission to own my story. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's all, like, important to consider in engaging in this process. As you know, when someone is open to being interviewed, you take control of a part of their story. And that's something that, you know, whether the interviewee is aware of this or not, they're relinquishing a narrative to the wider world that no longer belongs to them in the exact same way. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is just about thinking about whether or not you're interested in telling the story, you know? whether it's going to do something for you, I would say. Hmm. Whether telling my story for this show was going to do something for me. That's what I needed to figure out. Even if I wanted a huge platform, even if I was dying to be interviewed by a hotshot Hollywood director, even if I thought I had a responsibility to share my story because of its power to serve society in a meaningful way, I was also talking with someone making a show for a multi-billion dollar streaming corporation that you are probably subscribed to right now. And to be honest, the conversation freaked me out. Because even though she makes highbrow reality TV, and I the art of radio documentary, I knew her script, her platitudes, to a T. No, it's not paid. paid. Yes, Yes, you you can can trust me. me. Imagine the platform. The interview process can be cathartic. Okay, confession time. There's something I haven't told you about that documentary I made about Nicola. 
listened to and I was like, this is bad. And I deleted it. And that was that. Nicola hated my documentary. And after it aired, we didn't talk for years. But I'd just gotten my first real media job, so I kept working. I've gone on to build a portfolio with various networks and production companies and broadcasters in Canada, in the States, in the UK. I've made documentaries about dozens of people's most intimate memories and experiences. But when I talked to this TV producer, it was a bit of a reality check. I realized I don't really buy my whole shtick about the benefits of documentary storytelling for everyone involved anymore. And I'd been lying to myself since the beginning. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I wrote to Nicola, half expecting no response, and asked her if she'd be open to talking about that documentary we made all those years ago. This is this is going to be a little brutally honest, but because of the outcome of the doc, I honestly felt a little bit of resentment towards you, which is the truth. And it's not something I wanted to feel, but it's it's how I ended up. Feeling. It turns out she had quite a few things to say. Like the actual recording process, I didn't have much issue with it all other than it took a long time. I know how valuable it is to like look back on an experience and figure out what you did right, what you did wrong. Like that's a great thing. But this wasn't that, you know, like maybe when I was saying it out loud, it was originally, but then it was uh-huh. just so long that it became something else. And then the documentary itself wasn't like if I'd written a reflection out and then I'm like, OK, this is like for sure what I was thinking because I wrote this myself. Right. You know, it was like what someone else thought of a lot of reflection I made. So if it had been like an accurate portrayal... She thought my documentary was too much about giving up and not enough about persevering. I feel like maybe the editors around you at the CBC were happy to hear your version of the story because they felt like it made them feel better. This sounds harsh, but this is how I truly feel. It made them feel better about themselves to hear that like their mediocrity is okay. Like not having drive is okay. (laughs) Did it make you feel better about yourself? (laughs) Um, I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) I wanted to talk to Nicola because I hoped that if I could get to the crux of where I'd let her down, I could stop feeling like such a hypocrite. The thing is, it should have been important to you as a documentary maker that the person you're making the documentary about feels like you're being portrayed accurately. Had I been able to hear more preliminary versions, I would have been able to help steer you on the right track. Hmm. And what, what, what do you think that would have looked like? Showing me, like, when you started splicing things together, like, letting me listen to those sound bites so I could see where it was going. It also was a little incoherent. (laughs) I hear what Nicola is saying. But on the other hand, documentarians pride themselves on seeing what our subjects don't, in finding the shared human truth inside of one person's experience. And if we were just telling the stories our subjects already believed about themselves, well, wouldn't that just be like working in advertising or doing PR? I called Nicola when I started questioning the whole industry. Partially as a result of the process that we did together, like I'm interested in taking my work in this direction that's about the complicatedness of the documentary process and like can I be honest with you yeah what makes you think that other people are going to be interested in hearing that Uh, oh my gosh 
I'm sorry. I, I mean, it's about, like, I feel like as a subject, I'm interested in the ethics of documentary making. Yeah, that's interesting. This is a very comfortable room. Yeah. This is a psychologist's office. I, I was just I about just, to say. I, I borrowed it. Yeah. It was just a, it was more affordable than a recording studio. It's perfect. All right, you made it. We're at the part of the E structure where we've caught up to the cliffhanger from the beginning of the episode. Remember? Here we are, back at my auditions in my rented psychologist's office. Anyways, I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a, a girl with a microphone. Yeah. To reset the scene, picture me in an austere armchair across from a small couch for all my auditioners, where I've set up two microphones and a box of Kleenex. The pillow embroidered with the words healing is feeling that was here when I first arrived to set up has been carefully hidden behind the couch. But why am I here? And why am I having an existential crisis about my career choice? Let me tell you, it's not because Nicola didn't like the documentary I made about her. Yeah, that was unfortunate. But to my knowledge, nobody else has despised what I made about them. My issue is that I did everything right when I made that documentary. I followed the rules. Just like the TV producer who wanted to include me in her docuseries was doing. This is how the documentary industry works. Documentary subjects give us makers so much time and trust, and then we makers get to use their words kind of however we want, and then we get paid and we get kudos for the media products we've made with our subjects' lives. Documentarians and journalists frame telling your story as an opportunity, a platform for subjects that doesn't cost them anything but time. But it's way more complicated than that. And everyone who works in this industry knows it. We talk about how storytelling is socially valuable. But what about its social cost? What about its cash value? What about how subjects' vulnerability and insights are the basis for today's booming documentary content marketplace? And what about how this marketplace shapes how and what stories people hear and come to believe are important? People like you. I don't think the old rules are working anymore. I want to try to do things differently. And that's why I posted my online auditions ad. It read, Does your story need to be told? Tell it in a documentary. Seeking, shocking, heartbreaking, transformative stories for a new series about the documentary industry. And people responded with every kind of story. We had horror. My right foot had came off, dangling from the skin of my leg. We had drama. I'm dark immigrant accent and four white cops. Comedy. We wouldn't do any porn or anything. Unless maybe they paid a million dollars, we might. I don't think anyone's paying a million bucks to see me. <laughs> Fantasy. And I said, well, would you be willing to give me the lottery numbers? And he said, sure. And a ton of tragedy. 
You know, it's hard not having supportive family or not feeling understood by people because people don't understand, like, how this lady treated me. But no matter the genre, my auditioners all wanted to tell their stories for an all-too-familiar reason. It'll give me confidence and, I guess, make it concrete in my mind, saying it out loud. Finally freeing myself from something that, like, kind of kept me captive. I'm thinking about it, like, as free therapy, kind of. So... So here's what I'm doing with this series. Over the next three episodes, I'm going to pick four documentary subjects from my cohort of auditioners. And over the next year, I'm going to make a documentary about all of them. But this time, I'm changing things up. I want to try out some new rules for documentary production. Rules that go against a lot of what I was taught about how this production process is supposed to go. Let's start with rule number one. I'm going to be super straight with my subjects about what I think documentary really entails. An exchange. So I'm going to put exchange front and center in how I talk about this project. Okay, and but why, like, stories of, of people, like, what, what got you into that subject in particular? Well, stories of people are, like, the raw material that this industry runs on. Mm-hmm. I think we take for granted the idea that telling your story is inherently valuable for the people doing the telling. Yeah, that is so true. You never, like, really think about that. How can we make this yeah. both, you know, transformative for you and, you know, a good story for me, right. kind of, you know what yeah. I mean? My words and your connections will be like a masterpiece. Which brings me to rule number two. In the spirit of fair trade... I'm throwing out the textbook journalism commandment to never pay thy subjects. I think the old textbook is overdue for a new edition. I was taught a standard that paying subjects is coercive, that it corrupts journalistic integrity. But with so much buzz around the value of telling your story, I'm of the mind that the integrity of non-coercion may already be corrupted. So everyone who spends time with me for this series will be paid $20 per hour. I thought you said 50. No, just 20. 20. When you say any time we spend together, that means like preparing and things like that, or just for the story itself? Like literally time spent in the same room. Okay. Because like, you know, you could argue that you have prepared your whole life. Yeah, Um, true. I don't have the budget for that. Just 20 bucks nowadays is like a lot, you know? (laughs) Thank you. And that $20 an hour kind of goes for me, too. Let me lay it out for you. This is a relatively low-budget production, and we allocated $20,000 of the series budget to pay me. But I quit my job to make this series, and it's basically all I'm working on right now. So yeah, I think I'm going to end up making about $20 an hour. I mean, I'm under no illusions that me getting paid $20 an hour for many hours to produce my own project is the same as my documentary subjects getting paid $20 for every hour they spend working on my project, but it is the same in terms of hourly breakdown, and it's what the budget affords. So that's how we landed on that number. And finally, rule number three. Normally, Anyone who is extremely keen to be in a documentary would raise a red flag. But I've set this up precisely to ensure that all my documentary subjects really want this. 
hence my open call for participants. But not only that, I'm also letting them know that they will set the course for what we cover in the documentary. The stories they share in their auditions will be our map, and I won't publish the series before running whatever I make by them. So if you are selected, we will spend time together over the next six months Mm-hmm. figuring out how to tell your story. So we'd work together to figure out a way to tell your story in a way that feels right for what your story is. My hope is that together, these rules will help me make a documentary where all of us get what we want out of this. There are all sorts of guidelines for documentary ethics. People have been critiquing and iterating the way this delicate art should best be practiced, literally since the invention of the camera. But folks, it's a brand new media landscape out here, and there's more money and market interest in this art form than ever before. Since a profit-driven market is defining what kinds of stories are valuable, we need new ethical frameworks to keep up. So while I'm far from the only person asking these questions right now, I'm making this series because I still love making and listening to and watching documentaries. But if I want to stay in this industry, I've got to find a way of working that sits right with me. To be kind and to be called all the time To be free to call you mine And be able to see through it I'm a fraud, you always knew it Even if I don't do it on purpose But that's just on the surface Getting deeper makes me nervous But resisting doesn't service me anymore From Radiotopia Presents... This was episode one of Shocking, Heartbreaking, Transformative, a four-part series about what happens to all of us, subjects, documentarians, and audiences, when stories about our lives become products. I'm Jess Shane. I wrote and produced this episode, but I couldn't have done it without the support and trust of an amazing team. My editor is Sarah Nix. Sarah also played the TV producer in this episode. The executive producer of Radiotopia is Audrey Mardovich. Radiotopia's managing producer is Yuri Lazordo. Mona Hassan associate produced this episode. Our sound designer and mix engineer was Michelle Macklem. And our music was composed by Eliza Niemi, with additional music by Michelle Macklem. Our episode art is by Justin Broadbent. Additional thanks to contributing editor Jonna McCone and the anonymous TV producer whose email provided me with the flashy name of this series. Thanks also to Kelly Anderson, Evan Cartwright, Ivana Dizdar, Jason Fox, Alex Yuhas, Jordan Lord, Andrew Lund, Eleanor McDowell, Christine White, Reiko Tahara, Sean Togood, Mitra Kaboli, Chioki Iansen, and the VPM ICA Community Media Center, and many others. This reporting was also supported by the International Women's Media Foundation's Howard G. Buffett Fund for Women Journalists. And hopefully, catch you at the next episode. I'm so sorry that I'm fake sometimes. It's just how I've been trained and I know that it doesn't justify my opaque little lies.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.